Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Plant Powered People podcast with your hosts, Michelle Kane and Tony Okamoto. We recently had a wonderful episode with our friend, Dr. Shaw, on all things vegan nutrition for your little ones. She was a, a fantastic guest, and it was such a popular episode that we wanted to come back and talk more about the lifestyle aspect of raising kids. And we thought it would be a great, great conversation to bring on our friend, Marisa Wolfson. Yes. Dr. Shaw, by the way, is a plant-based pediatrician. So if you're looking for the nitty gritty, head back to that episode. But we wanted to dive into the lifestyle stuff. So we went to a mama, a mama of two vibrant, amazing vegan kiddos. And Marisa Miller-Wilson is fantastic. She's actually the documentary filmmaker behind the film Vegucated, which is one of the first really exciting vegan documentaries that came back way back and came out way back in 2011. She's also the author of a much newer book that just recently came out called The Vegetated Family Table. Um, and it's all she does a lot of work that just empowers parents who want to raise plant-powered kids. We're so excited to have her on the show. But before we jump in, we want to say a big thank you to our sponsors of this episode, Caraway and Gaiam. Now, whether you're brand new to vegan living, just stepping in or longtime vegan, one thing is certain, and that's having cookware and kitchen equipment that really work uh, and make it easy and fun for you to cook is a huge help and a huge win. And that is why I've been absolutely loving Caraway. Caraway Home makes kitchenware, non-toxic cookware and bakeware collections that are designed for the modern home and they feature a chemical-free ceramic coating so that food can be prepared with the peace of mind that no hard-to-pronounce compound or chemicals will leach into your food, your healthy ingredients. And that ceramic coating is totally nonstick. So I struggled cooking tofu for like the first 10 years of being vegan. It always stuck to the pan. And yes, I could just add more oil or try different different tactics. But ultimately, I ended up switching to a nonstick pan that was made with chemicals. And it made cooking so much easier. I was just like, oh, well, this is life. There's chemicals involved. But friends, I recently found Caraway. I adore them. It is totally non-toxic. It's healthy. And the nonstick works so beautifully. It's easy to clean, all the good stuff. So you've got to check them out. You can visit caraway.com. Sorry. You can visit carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen. And you can actually take advantage of the limited time offer for 10% off your purchase that they're offering exclusively for our listeners of the Plant Powered People podcast. So again, carawayhome.com slash plantpoweredkitchen. And you can use the code plantpoweredkitchen at checkout. But before we hop into the episode, we wanted to thank our sponsors, Gaiam and Caraway. Gaiam was a huge saver for me throughout the pandemic. At the beginning of it all, I canceled my gym membership and really fell into the slump of not working out and not moving at all. And I just wasn't feeling my best. And I got some Gaiam products from their website, including their home gym kit, which has jump rope and a lot of other things to keep you moving. And I just love how accessible it made it feel to work out in my home with everything that I needed for cardio and muscle building. So we recommend you check them out. We will link their website on our show notes. 
They not only have equipment to build your home gym, but they also have a lot of great options for meditation and recovery. They have equipment for children and yoga. And we highly recommend checking them out again. Their website is gaiam.com, G-A-I-A-M.com. Hi, Marisa. Welcome to the Plant Powered People podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Where are you calling us from today? My living room on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Oh, very cool. I I really love New York. I have all of these ideas of one day going and watching theater for a whole weekend, just all day long, every show. Uh, and I have not done it yet, but I, it's on my list of things to do. I really, really love musical theater. Awesome. That's so cute. Well, you're doing that. You totally do that. I I hadn't seen theater for, you know, two plus years. And my husband surprised me over Valentine's Day weekend with tickets to Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. And all I have to say is the stagecraft was amazing. It was phenomenal. You just sit there and you just think, how the heck did they do that? Did you do one full day or did you do two days? We did. did, They actually changed it. So they've shortened it considerably. It's now maybe three hours or two and a half hours or something like that. So it's not, you know, just the epic thing that they had before. They Uh they shortened it. I think people didn't really have, you know, they maybe because of COVID or whatever, they didn't really want to be in a theater all day. Unlike you, who does want to be in a theater all day. (laughs) I went and saw it it for my birthday in 2020 and my birthday was in February. So it was right before everything shut down and it was epic. It was like an all day affair. So uh, very cool that you got to see it. I'm actually jealous because I feel like I missed out, you know. (laughs) While you're watching that, I'm going to be eating my way through New York. We recently published a New York vegan restaurant restaurant guide on World of Vegan. And because one of our team members, Amanda, lives in in New York. And I was just blown away. I was like, I just need... I used to go there almost every other year with my family because both my parents, uh, their families were from the East Coast. And then since I've been vegan, I have not been to... New York City, which is crazy because it's like the hub of vegan food. It is. And what's so cool is that new places are opening all the time. I mean, sadly, some places are shut, you know, they have shut down like Candle 79, Candle Cafe West. You know, there, there are so many that have shut down for various reasons, usually involving horrible real estate people. But anyway, um, there are new ones all the time. And so for Valentine's Day weekend, we went to Plant a Queen and I guess I got used to knowing some vegan at every restaurant that I went to, you know, just mm-hmm. running into somebody that I know. But at Planta Queen, they were all, you know, 20 something, you know, gorgeous, hip people. And I was like, I don't know anybody. And I love it. I mean, I love that I don't know the people there, you know, because it means it, the, the movement is huge. Is Planta Queen the same as Planta? I'm not sure. Or um, it's Toronto-based originally. Yes, it's the same. I have eaten there many times uh, whenever I go to Florida. And it is so good. Oh, my gosh. It's tasty. good. Noodles and dumplings. I think I'm going to do that for my birthday, end of March. I think I'm going to take my girlfriends. We're going to celebrate our... um, my my father-in-law's 75th birthday there uh, at the end of March. So I am excited. 
nice. And okay. Hopefully. Thank you. So let's jump into getting to know you a little bit better. You are a quite accomplished person and I want our audience to really get to know you. Uh, but first, can we chat about what your food food was like growing up? Did your parents feed you plant-based? You're such an expert in little ones eating plant-based, but did you grow up eating that way? <laughs> Not at all. I mean, I'm from Indiana. Um, there used to be a website, maybe it still exists, called factoryfarmingmap.com. And I looked at it probably about 10, 15 years ago, and I saw that there were 83 factory farms within an hour's drive from my childhood home. So where where I'm from, it's just, I mean, it's Trump country, it's farm country. Um, it's a it's a small city in the middle of there. Um, so no, I knew no vegans growing up. Um, I knew one vegetarian and I made relentless fun of her. Um, and we're still friends, thank goodness. But uh, I did not grow up plant-based at all. So I'm, um, you know, I'm half German. My mom's from Germany. So I grew up, grew up eating a mix of kind of Midwestern food and German food. I mean, we're talking meat at almost every meal. I mean, certainly lunch, unless it was a PBJ or something, certainly dinner, always dinner, there was meat. So I grew up like the opposite of plant-based pretty much. Whoa. I can't believe how many factory farms are around you. That's wild. Even here in California, we have a lot of, um, we have a lot of farms, but that, that seems excessive. Yeah. And and the irony is when I was little, I didn't know that they were farms because they're just big sheds. They're just big, long, long, long buildings with some Mm -hmm. turbine, like fans, you know, um, no windows, sometimes windows, but usually not usually just fans. There are farms and you would never know. What did you, uh, when did you start making the connection? You said you didn't know when you were a kid, how old were you when you started to think more about that? I was 25, um, going on 26. I was a member of a Unitarian Universalist church right here in my neighborhood. And there was this kooky little old English lady who used to light candles of concern for the whooping cranes in Florida when there was a hurricane. She was an animal rights activist, and I thought she was a nut nutball. And she, and I am now a nutball, um, but she um, invited me constantly to screenings of horrible sounding films like Cow at My Table and stuff like that after coffee hour. And I always declined. And she finally asked me to see A Cow at My Table. I mean, not in a comment, sorry. It was um, We Are All Noah. And that was a Tom Reagan documentary from, geez, probably the early 90s or something. And it just cataloged how animals are abused in various industries, entertainment, even how they're discarded in shelters and obviously abused and exploited on farms. And I just walked away thinking, oh my gosh, I'm a vegetarian. I have to be because that can happen, but not because of me. And um, I, at that screening, I had picked up some pamphlets, uh, some vegan pamphlets that she had put out. And I read them and I said, wow, vegetarian is not enough. I have to go vegan full stop. So that was March 2000, 2002. Your kooky friend kind of reminds me of Michelle. 
She is the, hey, you want to come over for movie night? And then do like three animal rights movies in a row. <laughs> uh, um, okay, so. I after- love that. I would love to come over for movie night. Now, now we can all be cookie together. So now we I'm need like opposite. films that will untraumatize us. Now we need to watch yes. like Care Bears or something. That's right. I haven't watched any vegan movies in so long because at this point, I just feel like it hurts my heart and I already feel so overwhelmed. Uh, I'm I'm hardcore about wanting to end the suffering of animals and everything else I learned, I just feel like a little bit more crushed. So uh, Michelle has the opposite effect. She gets really inspired and wants to do more every time a new documentary comes out. So, so after, after you have seen the light, you are moving toward, you said you went full on. Wow. Okay. So you're now full on. Then what, what does your Indiana family say to you? So I actually read those pamphlets on a plane going to Evansville, Indiana, where I'm from, to surprise my mom. It was my 26th birthday and I was on the plane and I was like, whoa, vegetarian isn't enough. I have to think about the egg laying hens. I have to think about the dairy cows. And so I said, so I landed and I was, I've been vegan ever since. And I remember I told my mom, I said, mom, you know, I surprised her. She was happy. You know, da, da, da. And then I said, oh, and by the way, I'm vegan. And she said, you're not going to become one of those plastic shoe wearing radicals, are you? And I said, ha oh, ha, no. <laughs> that was 20 years ago, um, coming up on my you know 20th anniversary of being vegan. And I am such a plastic shoe wearing radical, although now the, the shoes are so much better, right? Um, the options are so much better, but, um, yes. So then I, my mom thought it was kind of kooky. My brother made fun of me. Um, you know, brothers do that. I think, I think that's what they're for. And he made fun of me for years until finally it sunk in that, okay, this isn't a phase. And actually she's devoting her life to this. This is not a joke, you know, and then the the jokes kind of settle down. Um, and they were like, whoa, okay, this is, this is who she is. And then you became an, a hardcore activist. Let's, let's take it from there. Yeah. So Mary Max was at the screening, um, where I had my big aha moment about, about vegetarianism. And I do believe she might have brought the pamphlets about veganism that I had read. So she was an obvious person to connect with and, I said, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is going on. And she was, you know, pretty newly vegan and animal rightsy herself. And she took me under her wing. And together we decided to host screenings of other people's documentaries. Uh, And we started a nonprofit called Kind Green Planet together. And I just used my connections with Unitarian Church and I hosted screenings uh, in in even in, in Toronto and outskirts and all over. North America at colleges, really, really any, anywhere. I mean, food co-ops, whoever would let me bring my screen. I had a screen, I had my own projector and I would set it up and I would show a lot of uh, tribe of heart documentaries, but other ones too, earthlings being an example. And, um, actually that didn't really go very well. So, so 
I, so I learned from the documentaries kind of what worked and what didn't work. Um, and that was kind of, that sort of laid the groundwork for me as a, as a firm, as a filmmaker, as a future filmmaker, as to what kind of a documentary I would want to make. And that's so cool that you hosted all of those. When I first went vegan in college, it was actually, um, there was like a sort of a vegan group scene in Cleveland, Ohio. And what they would do is they'd host free documentary screenings at the local library. And so I started going there. A friend encouraged me to come. I was vegetarian. I wasn't vegan yet. And it sort of helped cement in my mind, like not only do I want to do this, but I can do it and there's people doing it. And I'm like, just, it solidified everything for me. And then it provided the support system to like have this community where we could continue to, um, I don't know, get active, be active. So shout out to Jen Caden, who was a big part of organizing all those oh, screenings. I know Jen Caden. I know <laughs> Jen Caden. Yeah, it was through Mercy for Animals at the time. I yeah. think they supported that work. Um, but documentaries were just huge in my own route to being solidly vegan. So yeah, I'm, I so appreciate the work that you did. Yeah, and oh, I also... I also held some Earthling screenings at my college, Case Western, oh, and whew, those were yes. intense. <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, I feel like maybe you can tell about, but I found the people who stayed through it were very changed, but we had a lot oh, yeah. of walkouts. Oh, same. We Everyone was crying. Half the people yeah. walked out. Everyone left as at least a vegetarian, and some of them are still vegan today. So <laughs> Right, right. If that is one of those make it or break it documentaries. You know, it's yep. just... And for those listening, this is a, a older documentary that, again, documents the abuses of animals. It's narrated by Joaquin Phoenix. So it's got like a sort of a cover that makes you, that draws you in, but you don't really realize how graphic and uh, just a lot it is to take in. But it is. Yeah. I feel okay. like, see, see, I, I feel like, Marisa, you kind of changed the the way documentaries were done. Uh, I feel so much more called to make changes after watching your style of documentary that is more, um, that is less graphic and more people-centered than something that is really graphic. I get so crushed and I feel so deeply um, when it's mostly animal cruelty being shown than when it's a story of evolution and change. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think people are different. There are some people who, for whom the story of personal change is not enough and they need to see the graphic stuff. There are some people who, when they see the graphic stuff, they just shut down and they close their ears and they close their eyes and they go, la, 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 you know, because, you know, it's kind of a trauma. So, so I'm glad that there are films like Earthlings, but I, I knew for my own sort of activism that I wanted something that was accessible. I wanted something where people would enjoy the humor and the personability of the main characters, but then also be hit here and now for five to seven segments at a time by the, the truths, you know, by the images of what goes on behind closed doors. So I tried to bridge the gap to involve the people's story in their journey and also get that hard hit, hard hitting uh, footage in there. For those who don't know, um, Marisa created 
a wonderful film that changed so many lives called Vegucated. It was so powerful. I remember when I was first starting to swing dance, I didn't have a lot of, didn't have a lot of friends yet. And I also didn't wear the vegan badge really outwardly. Uh, And so as people got to know me a little bit better, a way they would connect with me was they would say, oh, I saw the movie Vegucated. And that would give us some connection uh, because it was, it, it, it is so widely watched and not by only vegans, but by but by so many people, including a lot of my swing dance friends. Oh my gosh, what a compliment. I love that story. Thank you. I love that. So you've gone on to author a book called The Vegucated Family Table, which is a really, really beautiful book. And you have uh, become an expert in helping families feed feed their children and make the transition into in- including their family on their plant-based journeys. And we, we've talked about this with other people, how hard it can be um, not only to make the change yourself and to relearn cooking and going to gatherings and sharing food with your loved ones, but also the people who are in your home make a huge difference on the ease of your journey. And Kids are very extremely opinionated. So uh, we would love to chat with you in depth about bringing the kids along um, all the way from little babies to they have very strong opinions. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I'd be happy to chat about that. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it... It, it looks different for a lot of different families. I think a big part of it is whether your partner, if you have a partner, your co-parent is on board or not. Um, I was lucky in that mine is. Um, so, you know, we that was just what we were going to do. And um, Michelle, I think that was the same for you. But I, I know that there are a lot of families for whom, you know, that is not the case. And so they have to make some some tough decisions. But I am not an expert in that area. So <laughs> what I did in my book is I focused on um, not just the nutrition, which we did, we did bring um, Reed Mangles. She is the foremost pediatric expert on plant-based nutrition. Um, well, she, she co-authored so many of like the position papers on vegan. She wrote the everything vegan pregnancy book, which was my Bible nutrition Bible. So she has a nutrition chapter, but I also wanted to cover, um, some social, you know, the social challenges and Michelle, it sounds like you're, you're just now, as we were emerging from COVID and you have a toddler (laughs) that, you know, you have, you, you know, you're entering this phase of, oh my gosh, I have a vegan who I'm, you know, bringing into the world, what's that going to look like? So I do have a social stuff chapter um, with my co-author, Laura. She helped me. She's, she's been an amazing help. I I couldn't have made this, this book without her. Um, So we, we put our heads together um, because she was a nanny for many years um, and brought non-vegan kids into a more plant-based lifestyle. So just together, her experience and my, my experience, we, we really wanted to come at it from different angles. And address so many of the questions that people have. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I have been so excited to talk with you because it's kind of crazy. I always knew I'd be raising Grand Vegan and I, I am in this sort of perfect, easy situation of both hubby and I are on the same page there. But even with that, there is so many struggles. But my little one's two now and we've been living in this hunker down, down pandemic life where he's not in daycare. He's not going to, he's never been to a birthday party. He's not like all these normal things that kids go through that are the big challenges. Like, what do you do when there's non-vegan birthday cake? What do you do at daycare where there's all these foods that are given to all the other kids and your kid wants to eat them? What do you do at the holidays where there's, you know, Halloween, Halloween didn't even exist the first year. And then again this year, cause when he was sick. So I, we've missed all of these uh, periods of usually some, some kind of struggle a parent has to learn how to handle these situations and talk with them with their kids. So I, I'm really eager to dive into this stuff with you because I know, um, while maybe I've been able to skirt it right now, most parents coming, coming up are going to have to face these head on when <laughs> like life is resuming yeah. again. So yeah, well, I can to speak to up to Age nine. After age nine, like after the, you know, third, fourth grade, I'm, I'm clueless. I can talk to up to age nine. That's it. Okay. So first uh, of all, can you share, um, you're a mom. You ha- can you tell us a little bit about like your kids, the ages of yeah, your kids and sure. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, um, my son Gabriel is nine now and my daughter and Emmeline, or she, she prefers to be called Emmy. She's six and a half. That half is important. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're super cute. Um, you know, they're totally spoiled in New York City. I mean, I have to include a caveat about that. I mean, we live um, halfway between Peace Food and Blossom on Columbus. I mean, we're, we're just, you know, so lucky and blessed to have so many options where we are, you know, where I have friends in my hometown of Evansville, Indiana, who are raising kids vegan and they have one restaurant in the whole town, you know? So I, so I have to qualify and say that I am extremely spoiled, but some things are the same no matter where you are. And that is, you know, yeah. How do you deal with, because I mean, my kids don't go to a vegan school. They don't go to a vegetarian school you know, it's just, they, they do go to a private school, but it's just, it's just a school, you know, they, they know maybe one vegan kid in their school. That's it. Whew. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. I mean, the first time when I, we were thinking about what to do with Graham in terms of childcare, um, I, I started looking at all, even the daycare options and most of them provide snacks and there's at least in Sacramento, I didn't find any vegan options. And the idea of having this environment where you had complete control of what your kids exposed to and like not having to put them in a situation where they can't have what everyone else is having and to send them into a situation where they're going to be experiencing that and you can talk to the teachers or whatever and, and help guide that. But you're not there for those kind of toughest new moments for them was like too much for my brain. I was like, I don't know how to do this. So we ended up going, uh, finding a vegan friendly nanny temporarily right now, but which has been amazing, but it's, I've been able to, again, like skirt that situation. Whereas almost anyone else can't like you just have you you need to rely on childcare and be able to send your your kid to daycare so like do you have tips on that like first entering your child into a situation where you no longer have control and you have to put those 
scenarios in the hands of other adults. And then you only have so much control over how they navigate that. Also, when you haven't yet told them, like I remember talking to Michelle about her decision and why she was going with a nanny. And one of the things that she said was because Graham doesn't understand that he can't eat what other people are eating. He just, as a, as a one-year-old, he just didn't have the why the information uh, exactly and couldn't understand why this kid is eating a corn dog and you're eating something different uh so if you could talk a little bit about that part too sure so we uh are super privileged we have we decided to have you know work with a nanny as well who we still work with who's amazing um and she is not vegan at all, but she totally respects it and understands it. And um, so my kids did not go to daycare. But what I do hear is that it's all about uh, communication with, you know, the daycare, the folks who run it. And more and more, they they deal with allergies all the time. And, and children, you know, toddlers deal with allergies all the time. So, right. so fortunately slash unfortunately, because of all the food allergies that are out there, kids, it's pretty normal to have food restrictions. Um, now there are some schools that are completely and daycares that are completely nut free and that's pain in the tush for us because <laughs> I do a lot of like nut based sauces, but I, I just, you know, and things. So I like just have to alter it a little bit, but um, but it, it's not foreign is the point. And there are a lot of kids with egg allergies. There are a lot of kids with dairy allergies. Um, and so the, I think it's getting the daycare provider slash school involved in understanding what it is that they can and cannot have. And they play an active role in explaining to the child, you know, in a way that, that makes sense, you know, and my kids, they just always knew that they were vegan. And something, once they started talking and understanding that their food is a little different, they started to ask, like become little vigilantes. I mean, they would ask everything. Is it vegan? Is it vegan? Is this like, you, you'd get, you know, Gabriel a glass of water or juice. He's like, is it vegan? And you're like, yeah, yes, it's water, it's vegan. You know what I mean? So, I so they become, they, it like becomes ingrained to them, like to always ask, you know, when they're at that age group, but when they're little, mm-hmm. like I took my kids to something called poppy seed, which is basically like a, it's like a, you know, it's like an extended class, baby class for like two and a half hours. And then there was always a snack time. And so I would sit there during snack time and we would bring stuff and other people would bring stuff. And really, um, you know, they would sometimes offer, you know, goldfish crackers and they'd put it on the table and I was like, Oh God. And so you know, I would just have to redirect my kid. You just have to redirect your kid. And, you know, it's, it's good to kind of get a sense of what are the kinds of things that they might serve and then just bring in your own. Like if they don't want to buy the little earth balance, orange crackers, if your kid is, you know, wants a, you know, a neon orange cracker, that's, you know, (laughs) I wish they had (laughs) the goldfish shapes, but anyway, um, you know, or there's like the Pepperidge Farm pretzels. So if other kids are having the goldfish crackers at daycare, you can bring in the pretzels and say, well, here are your tiny little fish. Um, I know Chloe Coscarelli has uh, a recipe for goldfish. And I even bought, uh, I know I'm harping on goldfish, but I'm just saying like, that is just ubiquitous. Those mm-hmm. little, those little dang fish are ubiquitous in daycare. 
Um, you can even like make your own, my kids didn't like that, of course, but they do like the pretzels. So, so what I would often do is try to get a sense of what are the, they, they don't, they don't come up with a lot of new stuff at daycare and schools. They tend to recycle the same things that work. So then I would just have real open communication with the daycare provider, teacher, whomever. Um, that's the first step. I mean, even before the class starts, I mean, I would send in an email with a list of snacks. And at this point, they know, like, they're like, oh, the Wolfson's okay. So at this point they know, um, and they just know what works and what doesn't work. And my kids don't fuss now that they understand it. They don't Mm -hmm. fuss about it. They know they're vegan. They own their veganness. So it's fine, but it's a process. And you also have to kind of let go. Like there are going to be slips where, you know, like we were at a store and some little kid was eating one of those yogurt melts and just gave Gabriel one. And I was like, oh, Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, you just got to let some of that go. It's going to happen here and there. And you just got to think, okay, are the animals really suffering in a major way if my 13 month old had a yogurt melt, you know? Yeah. We have an article on World of Vegan and I think it's called, uh, my, my, I'm raising my kids 99% vegan and here's why or something like that. And it's, I guess you could consider it controversial, but in my mind, it's not at all. Like even as adults, where we understand and are looking at scrutinizing ingredients. Like I'm imperfect. I've, I've later found out something I had was not vegan. Like it's no big deal, right? Like that's missing the point. The point is doing the best that we can. So I think that's a really good thing to hear Uh, other vegan parents just say that they're imperfect and that helps pull the pressure off of, um, each new vegan parent where you obviously, uh, you want to do everything like it's just gross to think about animal products going into your kid but we just yeah we have to let go about the of that a little bit it's also interesting where you said that your kids just know that they're vegan which i would love to talk a little bit about more about because <laughs> so as a 2 year old graham now understands things he understands concepts he i could definitely talk to him about what it means to be vegan and he'll he'll get that um and he knows the word vegan, but I haven't explained it to him because he doesn't even know that death is a thing. He he's, doesn't know what dying is. He's literally not been exposed to suffering or cruelty or violence or any of those bigger picture things. And I know that he's going to, but at, mm-hmm. part of me is like, I just want to keep him sheltered for as long as he can as I can. And part of me is like, okay, when do I rip off this bandaid? Because I'm in such a unique place right now with the pandemic where I can keep him sheltered for quite a long time from having to, to like be aware of cruelty. And when do you introduce that? Or is there a way to talk about being vegan without, he doesn't even know people eat animals. He doesn't know animals are slaughtered. He doesn't, he, that's going to hit him as such a foreign concept when we talk about it, because he fully understands like the world now, but doesn't know that exists. <laughs> right. Well, here's the good news about breaking veganism and death of animals and stuff to your kid is that they're not part of it. Right. So, you know, if they were part of it, and that's where these powerful videos come from that are viral online, right? Whether it's like a four-year-old you know, eating something in a high chair and having a, you know, an aha moment and, Mm. you know, and explaining and breaking into tears and having a breakdown or whatever, you know, there are all these viral videos of kids understanding animals are meat, meat, meat is, comes from animals and our kids don't have that. So, so, so where it becomes interesting, well, first of all, let me, let me backtrack and just say, 
we don't, you know, we, we are vegan because animals are our friends, something like that, you know, mm, yeah, something like that. And, and then, but, but I, I wouldn't necessarily avoid it for too long because I'm not saying you should, or you shouldn't, but because they aren't a part of it, um, they're going to feel okay about, they're not going to have the guilt with it. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, yeah. So so actually what 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 I found to be more of an issue than like oh why am I vegan is why isn't everybody vegan? Right. You know, so it's like they will just be like why does grandpa have eggs in the fridge? Doesn't right. he care about chickens? And so that's where it gets interesting to me is you know they're not going to be I don't think they're going to be weird about they might not be, you know, it's, it's a fact of life. Death is a fact of life. And I think, you know, yes, it's beautiful that we've been able to, um, shelter them. And in fact, my kids have watched no graphic animal footage yet. None of it, because I don't think they're ready for that. Um, and every kid is different, right? So you also have, you also have to know your own kid, but, um, like my, I think actually my daughter in some ways, uh, would be able to stomach that better than my son possibly. But, um, I, I don't know at some point it's going to come up. Um, but right now you, when they're little and they can't really understand, just think of it as a food rule. Just, I mean, I would just be like, well, we're vegan, so we don't eat meat, chicken, blah, 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 da, da. So there's just feels like a food rule. Mm-hmm. And then as they get older, they'll be like, they understand maybe three ish or something, you know, they understand death. And then they do get into, well, why doesn't so-and-so, why isn't everybody else vegan? And then it's like, well, yeah, why isn't everybody else vegan? So how do you handle that? Like, can you give an example of how you might respond when they ask those questions, especially about someone personally in their life, where it it really is hard for them to grasp how things that are so important to them wouldn't be noticed by other people in the family? Yeah. So, so I just say that, you know, they're, I'm trying to think how I did explain it, but I think I said, well, you know, people generally grow up not being vegan. They're not lucky like you, where you grew up and you, you know, so for them, it involves a change Mm. and they, and sometimes change is hard for people. And sometimes the fear of change, like being afraid of change is more important to them than what happens to the animal, or maybe they feel like they need it. They really feel like they need it to be healthy and they don't know that you can eat these other things to be healthy. And then I do also explain, you know, as they get a little bit older, that not every, the world isn't fair. Not everybody has access to the same resources, right? And I say, mm-hmm. you know, there are fishing towns in Africa where that's what you eat is fish because that's what you got, you know. Um, so, you know, I, you get more nuance as they get older, um, but what I, I do kind of just couch it, I do try to teach compassion to them for other people's perspectives um, and just say, well, you know, everybody's different. And then I do also say like, you know, some people never take an airplane because they care about the environment so much that they never fly in an airplane. I said, but we fly in an airplane sometimes. So it people, what's important to them is different. And they will do things according to what's important to them. So what might be important to one person and isn't necessarily as important to another person. 
So I, that's a little more advanced, but you know, I try to explain it in that way so that they have compassion um, for those because they can be pretty judgy, you know, they can be pretty opinionated as you know, and that can be kind of embarrassing, you know, some situations are like, why does grandpa have eggs? And you're like sitting there and grandpa's there and you're like, well, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, Graham's just starting to hit the point where he says why to everything. Why, why, why? And when you explain something that makes sense to him, he's like, oh, okay, I get that. But when you, when something doesn't, like you have a rule that's just like, I don't want to clean this up. I folded this all already. Can you not like throw it all over the ground? And you try to explain that. He's like, I don't really care about that. (laughs) to do it anyway. So it's like to sugarcoat things works to a degree, but kids are so smart. They're just like, that's not enough of a reason for me to care. So you have to give me something more, but okay. I love this. I feel like you need to create like a YouTube channel where you talk to kids because it's really hard. Like you are give it's a, it's, I guess it's a skill and the same things that everything is a skill. And I mean, I can say this, confidently because I was a very confident vegan for a long time because I've been it for 15 years, but I step into being a parent and suddenly everything's new again. Everything's, I feel shy about talking about these things again. I don't know how to communicate it. And there's a lot of things that I'm just kind of avoiding because it is a, it is a discomfort that you have to go through. But once you've done it and you're proof of this, once you've done it a few times or you get practiced at it, it just becomes like, yeah, this is life. No big deal. Right. I have a question about about the less easy and more common um, situation that is you're becoming vegan and your kids are vegan or or not vegan um, or one parent is vegan and the other parent is not vegan. Do you have Mm -hmm. any advice for either people who are just like they've been eating their kids eat chicken nuggets yesterday and now they watched a documentary uh, and want to change their lifestyle the next day. Uh, Do you have any advice for that parent? And then also for the parent who is kind of the lone vegan wanting to bring their family on board. Well, I mean, I can only speak about my friends and, you know, friends, people who I know who are in that situation. I find that often, I mean, just anecdotally, there's, I haven't seen any studies on it, but people who, uh, you know, are married or partnering with someone who is not vegan at all, and not even vegetarian, I find that often their kids end up being sort of vegetarian. Um, that is just something that I've noticed a lot. Um, but I've also seen where one parent is vegan, the other parent is mostly vegan, and so they decide to raise their kids vegan and or mostly vegan. Um, yeah, that, you know, that is where you get into power dynamics, you get into family dynamics, you get into beliefs about health, you get it. I mean, it is so complicated when you have a totally mixed family. Now, full disclosure, my husband is not a hundred percent vegan. David is, you know, 95% or something like that. But, you know, if he's on a flight for work and, you know, he's coming from wherever he might have, you know, a little bit of, a croissant on a plane or something like that. So he'll, you know, so we actually had to decide, we sometimes have, you know, differing ideas about um, how we're going to parent, not necessarily around whether they're vegan, but when it comes to activism and animal rights stuff, sometimes we just have to hash it out. You just have to work it out. You kind of have to be open to, um, you know, compromise if you want the partnership to work. 
And it's awkward, especially when you have such a staunchly held belief, you know, I mean, I don't have such great advice around other around that other than if your foundation is solid and you respect each other's opinions, then, you know, you just have to reach a place that you're both comfortable with and go from there. And you might have to let go of ideas of perfection, you know, um, and that's going to be that's got to be uncomfortable. For I feel people. like that's that's marriage in general. Yeah, 100%. That's not specific to parenting. Now, there is one gal who um, contributed uh, a couple of recipes. Her name is Ambria Lasley. She's also from Indiana. She's from the Indianapolis area. And she's known as Black Mama Vegan on social media. I have an interview with her on our uh, homepage, homepageeducated.com. She talks about um, coming to this without her kids being vegan. So like she came to veganism, you know, with little kids and and bigger kids and she just led by example. And she would just, the kids would be like, well, what, you know, what are you eating? What are you sprinkling on your oatmeal? And she's like, Oh, these are, these are hemp seeds or whatever it was, you know, and then they would try it and they would be interested. Um, you know, the studies just show over and over again, the most important thing for, in terms of what your kids will eat is A, you modeling and B, what you have in the house. Um, so if you bring vegan stuff in the house, you have, you have almost all or mostly vegan stuff in the house, the kids will naturally, I mean, that's what they have access to, right? So um, she talks about the kids just wanting, you know, wanting to eat what she's eating, be cur- being curious about it. And, um, I have other friends who I actually have a friend, a dad friend in the neighborhood who was doing CrossFit and he was doing like a super meat heavy diet, you know, as a lot of those CrossFit people do. And he was like, he was a day away from a heart attack. He went to the doctor and he was like, whoa. And so he said, I need to go mostly vegan. So he's 90% vegan now. And, and he, he, I mean, his cholesterol dropped like crazy, like so like 50 points or something crazy. Anyway. Um, so he's actually gotten his wife to be vegetarian. So she's vegetarian, mostly vegan and their daughter is eating more and more stuff that's vegan, but the daughter is not totally vegan. And, and, you know, when it comes to the child, I would feel like you would need to have some buy-in from that kid. If they don't know, if they are coming from one place and going to another, you know, um, I think that you would need to have some genuine buy-in, like, um, you know, why uh, them understanding the whys, because kids are going to have their opinions and they're going to be stubborn. <laughs> um, and, and what, what is profoundly lacking in this movement, and I would love to fill this void is some child-friendly media around these conversations. Um, mm-hmm. you know, where, how, how can you explain to a kid, you know, why veganism is good? What, yeah. Where's videos, books, media, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, there are books that are out there. Um, and I have a page on our, on our, uh, on our website called resources, and that has a ton of picture books. So, you know, I I would really work on the buy-in piece with the kid and just, um, um, having vegan stuff in the house is, is, and modeling good vegan behavior is the most important thing the most important thing that you can do. Awesome. Um, so there's, yeah, there's something called the division of responsibility that some people talk about where kid, you know, 
Parents offer a bunch of foods, that's their job, and the kids can choose among those foods. Mm. So we shouldn't be forcing children to eat stuff that they really don't want to eat, but we need to offer it and offer and offer it and let them have the power to decide what within that they want to they want to eat. That's what a lot of people talk about in this vegan parenting space. Definitely. For the listeners, if if any of this is a struggle that you're going through, we have several past episodes with um, you know, individuals who go vegan, their partner is not, or they go vegan and their kids are not. So we will link those other episodes in the show notes at plantpoweredpodcast.com. Um, but since we're running a little bit low on time, I would love to do sort of a rapid fire of specific situations that kids are in and your top tips for how to handle them. Does that sound okay? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, let's start with Halloween. <laughs> How do you handle Halloween with your kids? Okay, so I usually ahead of time will go on veganessentials.com and I'll buy some really fun, junky chocolate stuff because the one thing that kids don't have, you know, that they might feel left out on on Halloween is around chocolate. So what I do is I buy really fun, maybe a skull shape on a stick, whatever, or those, you know, Gomax foods, candy bars. And I will just buy a bunch of those so they don't feel like they're missing out. Um, and what is actually really cute and fun when they're little on Halloween and, and even now at age nine, they will ask the person, what do you have that's vegan? And that's an interesting moment because it makes the person realize, oh gosh, what the heck did I buy? Is this is this animal friendly? Is this inclusive? Blah, 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 blah. So it's actually a little bit of a teaching moment for the person offering the candy. Um, but the kids, you know, what we end up doing is they, you know, they usually pick if they can what, you know, something that's vegan. If there's nothing vegan offered, they will take the Snickers or whatever. And at the end of the day, we take out whatever's not vegan. So they, you know, dump their little thing over and then I give them the vegan chocolate. They put the non-vegan food into the basket that goes back out to the trick-or-treaters. And I'm in New York and I just have a stoop and we just put it on the stoop. So people walking by, we'll just grab those Snickers and leftover things. So that's how we do it. Now, I do know that some people um, employ the switch witch. The switch witch is sort of a tooth fairy at Halloween who at night when the kids go to bed, the switch witch comes in and switches out the non-vegan candy for either vegan candy or little toys and trinkets. Um, so I know that there are some families who do that. I also know that in our neighborhood, well, I think everyone has the app next door. A lot of people have it available to them. And in our community, they have this um, function around Halloween where you go and you can mark if your house has peanut free candy or vegan candy. And our neighborhood is actually pretty active on the app. So there are tons of houses marked that are insert whatever dietary preference you have. Wonderful. I love that. I have heard about that. In New York City, it's kind of not super useful, but I, I imagine for most towns, that would be really, really helpful. I know that Amy Bradley from Columbus, Ohio, um, she she has Vegan Famine Cow Town. She had a podcast for a while. Maybe it's still going, but um, she's a recipe contributor and she holds a trunk or treat or has in the past, not sure about COVID times, but she gets all the vegan families together. They this is obviously not a New York City thing because most of us don't even have cars, but they just go find a parking lot, 
they open their trunk and they trick or treat with each other. So it's a real, it becomes a real fun vegan family community event. When the vegetarian family meetup was active, we would also do that. There would be a Halloween party and we would just have a costume, you know, everybody would show up in costumes and we'd do fun activities. So, so there's lots of ways to create community around Halloween as a holiday. Awesome. I love it. Okay. Um, what about birthdays? Top tips for birthdays, birthday parties. Yes. Top tip for birthdays. I mean, rule number one, obviously, well, first of all, most birthdays are just pizza and cake. I'm going to say 75 to 90% of birthdays are just pizza and cake because parents want to keep it simple. So you need to have a go-to option for cake. We do cupcakes. Um, some, I mean, we're lucky we, we have a bakery on the corner, so we can even grab a slice of cake or a cupcake and bring it. Or what some families do is they buy cupcakes, vegan cupcakes in advance, or they make them and just put them in the freezer and they thaw them, you know, before they go to the party. Um, there are some families who will go the extra mile and they know they've got a vegan kid coming and they say, Hey, where can I get a vegan cupcake in town? And you say, you can say, Oh, well this or that bakery, or you can say, Oh, you know, I can bring one. Don't worry about it. You know, you can, you can decide, but, but in terms of pizza, families do that differently too. Some people will, um, you know, have something in the freezer that's, you know, a freezer pizza or something either homemade or boxed and bring that. There's some people who will just like rip the cheese off of pizza. There's some kids who don't like pizza and, you know, or there's an allergy or whatever. And so the parents bring something else fun for the kids to eat. Um, so it's really, you got to figure out pizza and cake, number one. <laughs> and, and number two, um, co- you know, communication with, with the parents really, which is, you know, what, what are you serving? You know, just text them ahead of time, you know, respond to the paperless post or evite or whatever. Say, what can I bring? Sometimes that is enough of a cue to that for them to be like, Ooh, gosh, we got to do vegan food and they'll do it. But just opening that line of communication is key. I love that. Super helpful. Um, Okay. Just a couple more. So Easter, I feel like that's relatively simple. Like now you can pretty easily find Easter things and just like make your own Easter basket. But what if you're going to like an Easter egg hunt where your kids are getting a whole bunch of candy that's not vegan around? Same type of thing as Halloween or do you have other tips? So we've only ever had an Easter Easter egg hunt where that was like co- sort of organized by classroom parents and they know your kid is vegan. I mean, if your kid is vegan, everybody will know, you know, (laughs) they will know, Uh, especially if you're a vocal vegan kid. So, um, and if they don't know, you have to be the one to tell them. And so they were talking about, oh, who's, you know, they were dividing up responsibilities. Oh, who's going to bring this? Who's going to bring that? And then you always say, well, I can bring blah, 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 blah. Or you can just say, can we just do trinkets instead of candies? And parents know that kids are so sugared out these days that, you know, often they're like, okay with that. So the one little vegan egg hunt that we had, um, I went to party city and I got a bunch of little trinkets and I filled those plastic eggs with those just so that my kids can avoid the issue. So just being involved, I think is the number one, just being involved. Okay, cool. Well, we're running very short on time, but I know we talked a lot about the lifestyle, uh, the, the, 
how to handle life situations and not much at all about the food. So I'd just love to hear your your perspective as a parent. For me, the food feels easy and it's like the situations that feel hard. But um, if someone's anticipating becoming a vegan parent, uh, how did you feel the food was like difficulty wise? Yeah. Compared so to- I was frustrated because there was no um, book. You know, now there are a couple of them out there on just what to feed, what are the, you know, how to feed your kid healthfully. Um, you know, what, what should you start them on? There are some people who do baby led weaning, some of you do a conventional route. So I ended up making the book so that I could also have all my recipes in one place. I did not find the food part that difficult until my kids became picky. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's usually around the toddler years where you're mixing power struggle with a changing palate where they decide that they have agency, more agency, and they don't. I don't know if you struggle with that with Graham, but for me, the food piece, um, the challenge is all around picky eating. Um, And, you know, there are tons of ideas and I have a bunch of them in the book, but I think the bottom line is it's ultimately kind of a waiting game and an exposure game and just kind of, you know, keep trying and just wait until they become a little bit older. peaks around six years old. Um, but around the teen years, it starts to really loosen up and they get a, a wider palate. So if we talk about, um, struggle with food, it's all for me, it's about like picky, picky stuff. And, you know, and we have, I, like I said, I have tips. Um, but, um, ultimately, yeah, it comes down to exposure and, and waiting. And of course we will definitely, um, include the vegetated family table in the show notes. So you can pick up Marisa's book and see her amazing recipes. I'm actually flipping through it right now. And it's so beautiful. I love how not only have you created foods that have um, the whole family in mind, including the little tiny ones, but also you've made them super cute for kids to find appetizing as they look at it. Thank you. Yeah. So I mean, cute. so much of that's one of the tip tricks, you know, tips and tri- mm-hmm. top tips and tricks with picky eating is just getting kids excited visually by it. Um, I mean, you know, it seems so annoying to have to put something in a cute shape and get those cookie cutters out and do <laughs> in a shape, but they really respond to it. So we wanted to keep the book really light and fun and appealing for kids and, and give, ideas for parents to get their kids to eat that good stuff. Do you have any final words for parents to get excited about helping their kids on uh, develop their own journeys or separate kid journeys in plant-based living? Oh, I guess I would just say that, you know, it was daunting. It was really daunting when we were going down this road, but what I discovered is kids really do have a sense of pride around around this issue. And all kids want to be superheroes at the end of the day. You know, their media is about superheroes. They want to feel like they're saving lives and making a difference. And this is one way, raising your kids vegan is one very effective way where they can feel like they're doing it every day. So so often, you know, it's framed as in terms of restrictions. And like what you can and you can't and blah, blah, blah. But on the flip side of that, kids also, you know, they take a lot of pride in it. And they also are part of a community, a larger community 
um, of kids that share the same values and who ultimately at the end of the day, when they, when the fit hits the shan with climate change and they, their eyes are open to all these, um, all the destruction in the world, they can look back and feel really, really proud about their contribution and the role that they played in making the world a better place. That is so beautiful. That's really really beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Marisa, for coming and chatting with us. We're going to have to have you on for a part two because we didn't even cover half of what we wanted to talk to you about. So thank you for being such a- I'm game. I'm game. Let's do it. This was really, really fun. And um, we will include your book and your social media so people can go and follow you and ask you any questions that they may have had after the episode. But thank you so much again. Thanks, guys. One last reminder to check out our two sponsors of this episode, Gaiam, the makers of beautiful fitness, yoga, and wellness products. And you can find them at gaiam.com, G-A-I-A-M.com. And Careway Home, they are the makers of non-toxic, eco-friendly, beautiful, modern kitchenware and cookware. And you can find them at carawayhome.com, C-A-R-A-W-A-Y home.com slash plant powered kitchen. And you can use the code plant powered kitchen for 10% off your order. Thank you so much. Huge thank you to Marisa for coming on and chatting with us. That was a wonderful conversation. And you have to pick up her book. It is really, really beautiful. And there are a lot of great ideas for the lifestyle aspect of raising vegan children. It sounds so easy when we when we talk about it because her presentation of the book is going to serve as a really great guide to getting your little ones to eat their vegetables. And we're we're just grateful to have her on. Yeah, I feel like this was kind of a mom therapy session for me. I don't know. I just, I so appreciate being able to pick her brain. And I hope that some of the questions that I am currently living and struggling with helped some of you listening, especially if you're parents or going to be parents in the future, or if you know anyone who's a parent who this might be helpful for, please do send along this podcast episode. And Marisa, big, big thank you for all you do to empower the plant-based parents of the world. As I'm going through this vegan parenting journey, I am creating as many resources as I have time to create a lot of articles and other resources that you can find at worldofvegan.com. If you just look up parenting, like go to worldofvegan.com and hit the little search bar and look up parenting or kids, um, anything like that. And you'll see the different resources that we have there. So I hope that's helpful. You can also find the show notes with everything that was mentioned today, including Marisa's cookbook and everything else at plantpoweredpodcast.com. And if you'd like to support the show, we so appreciate it. We've actually had a few Patreon supporters um, recently come on board supporting us. And when we get those emails, it's just Tony and I instantly message each other and are just like, oh my God, someone's giving $5 a month or whatever it is. It just, I can't even tell you how much it lifts our spirit and encourages us to just continue prioritizing this work. Tony and I both talk about often how this podcast is our most personal way to connect with you. And it feels kind of weird because we can't see you. We can't hear hear 
hear responses from you, but the messages that we do get and the feedback that we receive, whether it's through Patreon or even just like a message in an email or Instagram or whatever, those all impact us so powerfully. So we just really appreciate you. And if you ever want to reach out um, and connect with us, please feel free. Yeah. Yes, we definitely encourage you to do so. We're grateful to be on your plant-based journeys with you. And um, we share the messages that you send with each other. So if you want to reach out to one of us, um, we'll definitely share it so that the other person can have a, a an uplift in their day as well. Yes. And you can always find us either myself, Michelle, through worldofvegan.com and Tony at plantbasedonabudget.com or on Instagram. I'm just at vegan and Tony's at plantbasedonabudget. So there's lots of ways to reach out to us. And if you do want to support us on Patreon, it's patreon.com slash plantpoweredpeople. Thank you all so much. We wish you the happiest, healthiest day in your head. And we will talk to you in the next episode. Bye. Bye.